Um, I, I just love the kid who picked up the marshmallow and rolled it right under his nose, um, trying to get as close as he could to eating it without actually falling to temptation. I, I know that some of you probably have seen some, some sort of a test or a video like this before, maybe. And on the surface, it seems like, what? Why are they doing this? I mean, it's just like some cruel and unusual way to torture young children, basically, is what it seems like. Um, but actually, there's been different tests being done through this, and what experts have found is there's really more going on than what you might think. That through some studies over years, they found that when it comes to kids and temptation, that oftentimes the way that a, a child will react to a small temptation like a marshmallow actually is indicative of how as into even adulthood they'll react to other temptations and bigger temptations even as they get older. There's more going on than just a marshmallow. And so imagine if you're a parent of one of these kids and you realize there's more at stake than a marshmallow. You're probably thinking, don't eat the marshmallow, don't eat the marshmallow. You're going to be a teenager someday. Be strong, be, be tough, just don't eat the marshmallow. And whether these tests are true, whether this study is always true is absolutely not the truth. Whether there's any semblance of truth to it maybe is debatable, but here's what is true biblically and spiritually that they found in maybe a different way in this test, that there is more going on with temptation than just a marshmallow. There's more going on with temptation than just the temptation to cheat and get an easy A. It's more than just some sort of fun, crazy weekend. It's more than just affordable living arrangements. It's more than just a quicker way to get to the top of the corporate ladder. That with temptation, and this is why it's important to talk about it, there's more going on behind the curtain than what we might first think. Last week, uh, Pastor Steve got us started in this series and while that uh, clip from The Wizard of Oz, that just like took me back to my childhood, right? I hadn't seen The Wizard of Oz for a, a long time. And I remember being so scared of the, the big green wizard head. You know, those were high tech, you know, technology at that time and smoke coming out. Although I have to admit, it was the Wicked Witch of the West that always scared me more and those flying monkeys and I'll get you my little pretties. That was always worse. But, but the Wizard of Oz definitely scared me too as a little kid. Until then, Toto came, right, and pulled, as we saw, that curtain back and to realize that the Wizard of Oz really wasn't that scary, but instead he was just a man pushing buttons and speaking into a microphone. And the point that was being made, and the point in this series, too, is that sometimes we can get so caught up in outward actions and outward behaviors, and, and let's not be mistaken, God cares about our actions and our behaviors, okay? So it's not that they're unimportant, but the thing is sometimes if we only address behavior, if we only view things through the scope of action, then we forget what God has pointed us to, which is more important. Our hearts, that really those outward actions and behaviors and that thing you said, but 
you never thought you would say that. Where did that come from? God says it came from our hearts. That our actions are indicative of what's going on in our heart. And so, in that sense, evil actions and attitudes come from evil in our hearts. In the same way, good actions, godly actions, come from a growing godly heart. We talked about this in our growth group on Wednesday, and I have to tell you that I think our growth group was very similar to probably the majority of people, that we become very uncomfortable at times thinking about our hearts, our hearts being evil. Their hearts, evil. My heart, evil. We like to think, we like to, to put the best construction on things, and we like to think that we're, you know, good people, and loving, and kind, and here's the thing, through Jesus, and through his forgiveness, and through the fact that he's made you a brand new person so that the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are good sometimes. You are loving. You can, I can, be kind through him. But at the very same time, until we get to heaven, there's still evil that lurks behind the curtain. There's still evil that is in our hearts. And God is very clear about this in Scripture. In fact, he calls it a battle. Listen or look at how it's called or described in Hebrews. or I'm sorry, in Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood as Christians. Our struggle is not really against Al-Qaeda or any other type of war uh, or army or against that guy that doesn't like us at work or whatever, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? That there is this, this... army, this, this battle that goes on that we can't see. It's behind the curtain. And Paul in Ephesians is making us aware of it. Here's another way that it's described. Be self-controlled and alert. That means be on guard. Because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, we're going to take an even closer look at this type of thing in a couple weeks. But I wanted to set the stage today because here's what I need you to understand about the temptations that you face. It's not just a marshmallow. It's not just another drink. It's not just a lifestyle. It's not just an easy A. Temptation is a spiritual battle. It's a fight. Temptation, everyone, is a test of our faith. And what God's going to show us today and teach us is, first of all, that this battle matters, okay? It's important that we talk about it. Because the devil is like a lion, and he does prowl around. And so he wants us to talk about that which we experience every day in the heart, but sometimes don't like to talk about. And the other thing, he's going to give us a battle plan. He's going to teach us how to fight against it better. And to do that, we're going to turn to a section of Matthew where our Savior Jesus battled temptation. And this uh, section is from the very beginning 
of his earthly ministry. So Jesus is about 30 years old, and he's going to help teach us um, as we follow and look and watch his example. So we turn to Matthew chapter 4, um, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Jesus was tempted all 40 days and all 40 nights as he was fasting, tempted by the devil, and then we now hear about three specific temptations he faced at the end of those 40 days. The tempter, the devil, came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. <laughs> Anyone gone 40 days without eating very much? Or Okay, I didn't, I didn't think so. Can you imagine how hungry Jesus would have been at this point? Can you imagine how good a piece of bread would have tasted to Jesus? Can you imagine how Jesus probably didn't want to just turn bread in, or stones into bread, but the whole desert into the old country buffet and just kind of eat up, right? And he could have done that. So what was the problem here? What would have been wrong if Jesus would have done what the devil said? Here's what would have been wrong. Jesus would have been saying, God, I don't trust you to take care of my needs. I'm going to have to take care of my needs for me. God, as we just read in verse 1, you're the one that led me into the desert, but I, I don't trust you to take care of my hunger that I'm going to have to kind of intervene here as your son. I'm going to have to kind of intervene and use my godly powers here. Instead of trusting, I'm going to rely on my own strength. Instead of trusting you to take care of what I need in maybe the near future, I'm not going to wait for that. Because I don't trust you enough to do that. But as Jesus is faced with this very real temptation, what does he do? The first thing he does is he paused. He stopped. And then did what? Verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, the Bible says, God has promised, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What that means is that bread on your table or food in your refrigerator is not just bread and it is not just food. It didn't just get there by accident. It's always connected to the giver. And that's not us, it's God. That we never just have bread alone. We have bread that God gave us. We never just have food alone. We have food connected to the one who gave it to us. And so Jesus paused, and instead of doing that which was easy, or that which would have made him feel better in the moment, he trusted God's promises. He trusted his heavenly Father. And we're going to look real quickly at the other two temptations, but just for a moment, let me stop here and say, that's really the decision we have in every single temptation. Because every single thing we're tempted to do that's against God's will, God has given you a promise on the other side of it. And as we face a temptation, we can either trust ourselves 
and that which we think will bring us happiness, or trust God and stand on the promises in his word, just as Jesus did. Here's the second temptation, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, that is Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You know who one of the greatest theologians there are in existence is? The devil. He's constantly studying scripture. He knows it better than anyone in this room. The only problem is, and this is something that we just need to be aware of, he takes it and he twists it. And you felt this too in your brain before. You have a little bit of a nugget of truth of God and the devil's getting you to twist it to mean something that it doesn't. In this case, God's promised to take care of us. So then, Jesus, why don't you just jump off a cliff? That wasn't God's promise. Jesus paused and he answered with God's word. It is also written, verse 7, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God's never promised for irresponsible people who are just testing God, playing with God, that he's going to protect them. But in faith, as we are responsibly following in faith, God says, I'm going to be there for you. Then God's promise about the angels is true. The last temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. There's another truth about temptations of, from the devil. He often gets us convinced that if we follow his temptation, that we will have that which he cannot give us. We think following a temptation will give us things, happiness, peace, uh, joy, whatever, which the devil cannot give and which that temptation will never have the power to give. This is what the devil is doing with Jesus on this last one, tempting him, saying, you know what? <laughs> you want an easy way out of all this pain and suffering thing? All this savior work? Why don't you just join me? We'll have some fun together. Why don't you just join my side? Get out of all that hard work. You know how Jesus would have responded to that. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, he paused and turned to God's word, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three times Jesus is tempted, three times <clears throat> here. Jesus paused in the midst of temptation and trusted God. Here's what Hebrews chapter 4 says about Jesus. For we do not have a savior, a high priest, who's unable to sympathize or understand our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. During Jesus' life, the devil came at him over and over and over and over and over again. Like I said earlier, there was not a person who's ever lived that has faced more temptation than Jesus did. 
every day irritating him, every day trying to stop the plan of salvation. Have you ever um, been eating popcorn and got one of those um, shells stuck in your teeth? You can't get it out? Or, or for me, what's even worse, and maybe it's just because I'm weird, but get the shell stuck between your teeth and your gum there, and, and it's like, it bothers me. I cannot stop thinking about it. I'm using my tongue, and I'm using my fingernail, and a toothpick, and it, I cannot rest until that thing's out, right? It's a constant irritation. The devil is a constant irritation to Jesus. He's a constant irritation to us. Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you've never thought about it in this way. But that, those temptations that come at us over and over again, and sometimes we just get so tired that we give in. Jesus never did. Every single time, Jesus defeated the devil. Every single time, for you, for me. He fought against the devil's lies, and he won. He paused. He trusted his father instead of meeting his immediate potential needs or his immediate desires, although Jesus never had evil desires. He paused and trusted God. And then ultimately, that battle against that lion ended for him on the cross. As with a, a hard fist and with his life, he defeated the devil's power over sin and the devil's power over us ultimately for eternity by dying and rising again. And so today, people who are constantly irritated by the devil, constantly tempted, and daily fall, that this is true as this verse continues in Hebrews 4. Let us then, because Jesus was without sin and defeated every temptation, let us then approach him, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. He's our God. He's forgiven us. We can be confident so that then too we may receive mercy, that is love and forgiveness, and also find grace to help us in our time of need. <laughs> Temptation's hard. Every day I fall in one way or another. But God tells you through this verse that that's exactly why Jesus came. For people who fall to temptation. Washed clean by the one who didn't. People who fall to temptation made his children by the one who defeated the devil for us. And that is great news. Awesome news for a sinner like me. So does the battle matter? I'm forgiven. Calls me his child. Does it, does the fight matter? Does the battle against temptation matter? Or do we just kind of, you know, give up and give in? Does it matter today, whether as a 20-something or a 30-something or a 50-something? Does it matter? Well, it does. The prowling lion still roams around. You know how most people fall away from God? Most people who fall out of faith, it's not because of some philosophical search for, I wonder if there's a God or not. 
And then in a moment's time, they kind of decide, you know what, I don't think I believe. That happens. That's not how most fall away. Here's how it mostly happens. Most of the time, people stop believing in God, and it starts much, much earlier. It stops or starts with not trusting God. So a person faces temptation. And they can either trust God or trust themselves. And in that moment, they decide to trust themselves. And they feel likely, if they were a Christian, really guilty about that and return to the Lord for forgiveness. But then maybe they do it again. Return to the Lord, do it again. Feel a little less guilty. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Pretty soon, the guilt has kind of gone away. And after the guilt has gone away, pretty soon then, that disobeying of God kind of becomes a lifestyle. A lifestyle of saying no to God and yes to me. No to his strength, yes to my strength. No to his plans, yes to my plans. And eventually, a lifestyle of saying no to God can and may ultimately end and falling away from the faith altogether. It doesn't happen overnight, but if we are not constantly aware, if we're not fighting the battle against temptation with the Lord's help, it's dangerous. He's looking, the devil, for someone to devour. So, what's God's battle plan? Well, <laughs> I think we could have ten sermons on this. But since we're looking, our text is Matthew chapter 4, I'd like us today to just remember one thing. I'd like us to use Jesus' example as our guide. Because when temptations come at us, and whatever it is, whether it's some um, sort of cultural thing or some sort of a substance abuse or uh, something as a child or a marshmallow, whatever it is, Oftentimes, the reason Christians fall is because they act quickly and they react by trying to meet their immediate needs, their immediate desires. Have you ever gone mini-golfing with really little kids? Um, I have. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's fun, but if you really wanted to play mini-golf, um, it's not really going to happen with little kids. Because this is, this is what happens if you've ever done it. So they, they know where to put the ball, you know, on that the little divot thing at the beginning. And they hit it. And before it even stops, they're running after it. And they hit it again. And then they hit it again. And then my kids even, because um, um, they just like to win, I guess, they, they take the, the club and they kind of drag the ball into the hole. <laughs> And so they're just kind of reacting, moving and reacting, moving and reacting. But if, if you want to do well at how golf or mini golf is supposed to be played, what do you do? You pause. And you look at the line, and you think, and you stop, and you hit the ball, and you pause. You stop, and you think, and you hit the ball. When it comes to sin and temptation, Sometimes, if we're not thinking, we react like little kids playing mini-golf, and we just do what comes naturally, and we quickly move on to the next thing and quickly make a decision. And today, we see Jesus directing us to do what he did, to pause, 
You know when there's that decision to do what is godly and what is not. Pause at that moment and think. And with the Holy Spirit's help, trust God's promises. Think about how big your God is. And do you need that thing? Or do you need to take things into your own hands? So often we're thinking, you know, if I don't, it won't, right? If, if I don't cheat, I won't be a good student. If I don't act unethically, I won't get the job that I want. If I don't compromise my sexuality, I won't find a spouse. If I don't do that which I know is not right on the weekend, I won't have any social life. Your God's bigger than that. God wants us to trust him. And it may not happen, his answering of your prayer in the moment. But there is nothing more sure than the promises of God. And so we pause and we trust. And will we fall? Yeah, we will at times. But I guarantee you less trusting in God's promises. And when we do, you turn back to Matthew chapter 4. You turn back to Hebrews chapter 4. And you remember that you have a Savior who faced all those temptations and yet did not fall. And through him, you are his children. Do you know why we fight the battle against sin? Against temptation? It's the greatest reason there is. We don't battle temptation to earn the title child of God. You and I today will go out into the world and we will fight harder against that old prowling lion not to earn the title child of God, but because we are children of God. Let's pray.